You're listening to a message from Canby Foursquare Church in Canby, Oregon. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Visit canbyfoursquare.com to learn more. Church, it's good to be back with you. Today we're going to continue our series in the book of Nehemiah. How many of you have enjoyed our series on a book of Nehemiah? Right, yeah, good. There's some good hands out there. I've had uh, many of you talk to me about the book of Nehemiah, sharing about how you've read ahead, and uh, we get to get into the interesting chapter of chapter 3 today. And if you read ahead, it's a fun-filled list of names. Uh, I, heard a, I heard a pastor one time talk about uh, the, the book of Nehemiah in chapter 3 is every pastor's nightmare. Because you, 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 you study, you think about God, you pray a lot, you dream about what kind of mind blows you are going to share with your people. And as you dive into a book, you don't really think about the mind blows that you got to dig out of a list of names. Of 50 people of 32 locations. We'll get into that in just a few minutes. Uh, Ron and I, a couple weeks ago, uh, probably about six weeks ago, rather, we were out at the Abbey uh, in Mount Angel, and that's where we came up with this series. And we, we started diving in, like, what was it going to look like? Who's going to teach what? And I, I want you to know that I wasn't keen on teaching chapter three, but Pastor Ron so graciously said, <laughs> you're the number two man. You will teach chapter three. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor Ron. And, and if I'm honest, I, I, the, I only know the book of Nehemiah for, the people teach through it for a couple reasons, right? The book of Nehemiah, uh, you, you teach through the book of Nehemiah if you're doing a one-day seminar on leadership. If you want to be a godly leader, you draw on crowds and you bring people in and you talk about the the great networker that Nehemiah is. You talk about how he was thoughtful and his implicational thinking, how he was able to fundraise by kings and get building permits and letters. And you really can do a great little seminar in the book of Nehemiah. The other reason why you teach out of the book of Nehemiah is when you're doing a building campaign for your church. When you need to expand the children's ministry wing. When you need to extend the sanctuary. When you need that new fountain in your driveway. So when everybody comes in, they see that bubbling fountain. That For me, that's been my history with the book of Nehemiah. And that's when you use the book of Nehemiah. You really move in the hearts of people. Look, the people built a wall. It's kind of like our fountain, and, and you can really gather people. But the book of Nehemiah and, and has, has found me in a special place in the, over the course of the last several weeks of studying it. Um, I, I, I will say that I wasn't too keen in our uh, current political climate to speak on a wall. Uh, that wasn't interesting to me. But as we go through books, here we are. And if you remember how Pastor Ron has set up the book of Nehemiah, and I'll just, for a, for a moment here, I'll do a little bit of, of review. Ron uh, shared with us that the title of the entire series is 
uh, ordinary people doing extraordinary things. And he started this series out with talking about Nehemiah, this cupbearer. He, Nehemiah has uh, become, he's in an exiled country. He has been exiled from his, his country of Israel. Remember, the Israelites, they uh, had a northern and a southern kingdom. They were always in civil war with one another. They were eventually exiled. Uh, that the Bible reveals to us it was due to their idolatry and their, their corruption within their own temple and their own uh, social system. And God eventually uh, takes Israel and he takes them away into exile. And he, it says that the hand of the Lord was was on them even as they went into exile. They were exiled. And now in, in Jeremiah, that Nehemiah, he remembers the book of Jeremiah, and he says, the Lord said he would bring us out of slavery in 70 years. And that's where we are with, Jeremiah, with, with Nehemiah. Nehemiah, he's a cupbearer. Uh, for some of you that remember, a cupbearer uh, is an interesting position. He's a cupbearer to the king, uh, and to, to King Cyrus, and... What an interesting job. He's essentially uh, a frat boy that drinks a lot. Uh, this is essentially the cupbearer. The cupbearer is the guy that he's hanging out at parties with the king. When the king has political parties, he's the guy that the king, when they're pouring drinks, the king says, you test it. He picks it up, takes a sip. Yeah, I won't kill you. And, and he gives it to the king. And the king then can proceed with drinking it. He, he's the guy that tests the wine to make sure that it's not poison. He's also a person that has to be really trusted in that position. Because the old, we all know the old trick where you take a little drink and pour it in there and then kill the king yourself. He's somebody that's in the position of, of trustworthiness. He, he's a man that's noble. He has a high position. And what happens is Pastor Ron took us through the first couple chapters that Nehemiah gets this godly burden that he hears about. He hears about his people. He hears about the struggle. He hears that there's still a remnant in Israel. He he knows that that Jeremiah says that someday the Lord will return his presence back to Israel. And he gets this burden. And what ends up happening over the course of these few years is that that Nehemiah, he has this godly burden that it's seen by others, that the king offers him favor and says, hey, we want to give, uh, give you favor, give you money. It was a great political move for Cyrus to reestablish uh, different people and putting them back into their own country, and it would uh, keep their loyalty to the king. They would worship in their own place. It's a great move altogether, and Cyrus funds this. Well, what happens oftentimes, and Pastor Ron shared with us over the last couple of weeks, that when somebody, when those of us who are believers get this godly burden, uh, maybe it's for a new ministry, maybe it's for a new job, maybe, you know, we've been working the nine to five and we're going to step out and we're going we're gonna to start our own business or we're going to live differently, we're uh, going to sell everything that we have and give to the poor and live simply. What happens is that a lot of times we get this burden and then God starts to put other people in our life. God starts to put people with the same burden, people that are like, oh, I have a heart for those people. Or I, I've wanted to uh, share in, in, in ministry like that as well. 
And, and what happens is people start gathering around Nehemiah. And Nehemiah, this great leader, he's able to network these people and, and use them to advance the kingdom. And where that brings us to our story today is that we will look actually at these, these people and, and who was used. And what's interesting is that they're called by name. It's interesting. You don't, you don't really think about masons and wall builders and that that's a, that's a privileged position in the Bible. But God knows them. God sees them. And God calls them by name. Uh, when we, my family and I, we used to, uh, we were missionaries in Cambodia, and when we were there, the book of Nehemiah became really real in our life because we were a bunch of young people. When we first went to Cambodia, uh, I had uh, more fluffy bangs than I do now. Uh, I didn't have the double cul-de-sac up here, and it was, it was more black than it is gray. Um, and we, the, the oldest person in our organization was 32 years old, and we're just a group of young people that are sold out for Jesus, and I tell people that we were just stupid enough to believe that Jesus can do anything he wants with anybody he wants, anytime he wants. And that was really the DNA, the culture of working in YWAM in Badambong, Cambodia, and we were, we'd been there for a while, and what the Lord had started to do is he started to put on a burden, and, and he had promised early on for those who started the base and started this, this ministry, five people, that the Lord would sometime build, the, build a campus. He was going to build a, a central location to minister to the second biggest city in Cambodia. Well, none of us thought of that. We're all young. We're all broke. We don't have any money to buy land. It's really expensive. Well, several years later, similar to the book of Nehemiah, some of us started to remember the promises that the Lord had laid on our hearts. There started to be this sense that God was saying, now is the time. We'd, we'd outgrown our ministry. There was more than 500 non-believing students coming and learning five days a week on campus. Uh, dozens and dozens of people getting saved, dozens of people going out to the nations and, and laying their lives down for the gospel. God was up to something, and he was challenging us to believe him for a campus. Well, it's a fun, longer story that I'll tell later, but God had led us to this 12-acre rice field, and it was cheap, and we thought, but at the time, it was $750,000 for a rice field and a fence for 12 acres. Well, if you know anything about a rice field, uh, rice fields, we bought this, this, this rice field, and we went, great, we're going to build a campus. Well, the only problem with rice fields is that if you know anything about rice, that it's harvested about a yard below ground level. So the stage being ground level here, and you got to go down into the rice field, and then you're about hip high, maybe a little bit above knee high in water. And that's how you would harvest the rice. So we're sitting at this land. we got 12 acres. And we think, that's probably not good. Uh, because the city, the city floods all the time. So what ended up happening is the leaders, we came together and we said, we got to backfill this land. And then though the engineers and the architects involved, they said, not only do you have to get it to ground level, you have to get it one yard above. So picture the stand here, somewhere around the stand. 
We had to go three yards, nine feet of dirt. We bought another piece of land, and we started backfilling this, over 10,000 truckloads. Well, that's all fine and dandy, but I am a, I'm, I'm a passionate, young uh, Bible teacher. I'm running a Bible school. Uh, I'm raising my own support. I'm a leader, uh, known regionally, known through uh, the, the area of Asia. I'm way too busy. Well, we started having to cut some costs, and we had to think through, how are we going to do this? How will we buy in? We have ten, over 10,000 truckloads of dirt that we need to bring in. So this was our, this was our, our marker, and you can see in the background here that we have uh, a dump truck, and we just start bringing in these truckloads. Seems easy enough, right? Got little kids in the neighborhood playing soccer, you playing on our dirt. Well, what ended up happening was we couldn't just trust the locals to, uh, to just dump and go, but they would also sometimes take a truckload and take it to one of their sites and sell it for half the price. So all the leaders came together and said, we can only do one thing, from keep people from stealing our dirt. We got to be out there night and day counting trucks. And I thought to myself, I am way too busy I am way too awesome to be out in a dirt field (laughs) counting trucks. Do you know who I am? And essentially the CEO, the leader of our company, uh, of our organization, he was out there and all the leadership, we just began to split up and divide. uh, And we sat day and night. One of these things come in. One. Can I have your ticket? Thank you. Two. (laughs) Ticket. And this is what we did day in and day out. And I remember my heart being so hard towards this, thinking that this was below me. Why? We're raising millions of dollars for a campus. Why not pay somebody to be the ticket guy? Why not just pay somebody to be out there? My time is way too valuable. This is what brings us to our our point, our story here in Nehemiah. In Nehemiah, we see that there is a godly burden on Nehemiah, and he started to gather people around, and now these people will be called out by name. And when we get into Nehemiah, I'm not going to read the chapter like I usually do when I teach on a text. I will read through our text, and uh, I will not be doing that because you'll just hear me mispronounce names, and I don't want to disrespect people in the Bible. So... I will read a little bit, and then I'll point out. But I want you to think about where the story here starts. Where does the narrative start? And I will read chapter 3, verse 1 of Nehemiah, and I'll give you just a second to get there. Then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brothers and the priests, and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it, and they set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the Tower of Hundred, as far as the Tower of Hananel. And next to him, the men of Jericho built. And next to them, Zachar, the son of Emery, built. I will pause right here. Who, is, who in this story is the one that starts building the gate? 
Who's the, who leads this? Yeah, the high priest. Good. The bold person that said the high priest. When I was studying for this book, what's funny about this, I read a lot of commentaries and I read a lot of really smart people's books about this, about Nehemiah. And when they got to chapter 3, smart people that wrote exhaustive books just blew right past it. Like it wasn't even there. They said, these are the list of people that built. Uh, and that's, that's the insight. Like, like the 13th floor on a hotel, just not there. Uh, people just didn't write about this chapter. And I think that it's a fascinating chapter because when we see it, we see Eliashib the high priest. If you uh, can go with me here. Um, Pastor Ron showed us this map last week. And we have a map of the, the wall in Nehemiah's time. And what's going to happen here, if I can find the button, that we're going to start right up here at the sheep gate. You see that right here? That's where our story starts. This was the deep insight that, insights that most commentaries gave me. You ready for this? In chapter 3 is a list of names. They built counterclockwise. They built the gate counterclockwise. Mind blow, right? Uh, it, that doesn't seem spiritually cool. I mean, it's a 50-50 shot, right? You either have to go right or left. Uh, but they start at the sheep gate, and it's Eliashib. And what he is, is he's the high priest. He's going to start at the sheep gate, which is near the temple, right? And the sheep, that's where they come in to be slaughtered. That's where you would come in, you would make uh, sacrifices, that's where the sheep are going to come in. And it makes sense that Eliashib would, uh, would build near where he lives. Later we'll see this repeated phrase that they built opposite their house or near their house. And Eliashib is doing the same thing and he's building right where he lives. Uh, this is a little bit better picture of what it, what it probably looked like um, when it was finished, but... This is the spiritual leader of the time. This is the pastor. This is the guy who could be saying, you know what, I got other things to do. I got, I got to spiritually lead my people. I, I should be praying and fasting and doing all sorts of really noble things. But we start here with the leader of the people, the priest. The priest, this was this was essentially up until now, this was nothing that they would do. This is the, the pastor that he jumps out and he leads the way. He doesn't, he doesn't say, hey, you do this and you move that. This is the pastor and he's rolling up his sleeves and he says, pass me a brick. Pass me a stone. And he's in there and he's, he's passing. So remember later on, if you know the story, later on everybody is on the wall and they're up there building with one hand and they got a sword on the other. It's awesome. It's an awesome story to be building, and you got a sword because you fight off people, things. Uh, it's a really cool story, but we see that those in high position are charging the way. And it's not this leadership from top down. It's leadership by influence. It's, it, it's, it's leading not from top down, but leading from influence. We, we, we see this in... And our King Jesus, Jesus led in the same way that Jesus himself, being a godly leader, he didn't just say, oh, you go do this and you do that, but let me show you how to pray. 
Let me show you how to go to the people. Let me show you how to lay hands on the, sti- on, on, on the sick. And if we contrast this, what's interesting is that the contrast is made here in verse 5. And next to them, the Tekoatites repaired, but their nobles would not stoop down to serve their Lord. They would not stoop down to serve their Lord. God has he's gathered up some people here that the, the, the priesthood, that the pastor's in there, he's charging, he's leading, and there are people around that are like, this is below me. This is really where my heart was. This is my heart when I was like, oh, I'm going to be the dump truck counter? Uh, I've been here. And, and it's interesting to me that God, he compares the people of God, the, those that probably by all rights didn't have to be out there building the wall, but they're out there building the sheep gate and building next to their house. Um, when we look from at this verse in comparison to the following verses, that we'll see so and so, they built their house, they built opposite their house. They built the fish gate, the, uh, the, the broad wall opposite their house, the valley gate, the dung gate. Can, let's think about this. If you go down here, the dung gate, the dung gate is exactly what it sounds like. And the dung gate is where the city would take its trash. That's where the junk goes out. You know what I'm saying? Um, so it's not like a clever name. Uh, and look at the list. If you read through this, and if you just kind of glance through the chapter, what type of people do you see here as builders? Let's take a little look there. We have leaders. We have rulers. We have goldsmiths. Perfumers. Perfumers. Men and women. Sons and daughters, everybody's in on this. The perfumers are building the gate. Can you imagine going to Macy's or Nordstrom's and you go into the perfume section and you're like, you're, you'd be a great dung gate builder. <laughs> Think about the people that God is using in this situation. Think about who Nehemiah has gathered. Think about the job that they're doing. No one, no one in this list is, is a mason. No one in this list is somebody that's really skilled at bricklaying. And I think what this speaks to us, church, is that some of us, sometimes, if you're, if you're like me and you have a heart like me, that sometimes you can just get to that place where you're like, that's not my, that's not my gift set. You know, children, that's not my, that's not my jam. Uh, I, you know, I, I've raised my own children. I got grandchildren. I'm past that stage. I don't want to be back in the nursery. You know, I used to run the youth group, and I used to, yeah. And, and guess what? There's, there's still a need. You know, I would love to serve on Sunday mornings, or, you know, I would love to be a, start a small group, but that seems like a young person's gig. I don't, I'm, no, no, no. What doesn't, what the, the text doesn't say, is it doesn't seem to say, hey, all these people that were a part of building what God had laid on their hearts, they were excused because it wasn't their gift setting. If anybody can get out of this, it's probably the perfumer. Am I right? 
Am I right? The perfumer, I, you know, delicate flowers and bra- I, essential oils, you know. The perfumer seems like they could get out of this spot. But there's, there's two ways that we can, well, there's more than two ways, but there are two primary ways that we can really look at the, the, the Bible in general. One is that we can look at each chapter, and we can kind of see the timeless truth, and we can see what we can glean from that particular passage, and, and, that's, and that's good. But there's also this, this, this greater arc, a greater narrative that we can look at. And that's, that's interesting when we think about the book of Nehemiah because up to this point, the, Nehemiah, uh, the, the time of Nehemiah, Nehemiah is the last event before going into the New Testament. So I know it doesn't uh, line up in your, in your Bible because you got Malachi at the end, but this is the last event. This is going to be the world in which Jesus is, is brought into, this chronologically will be the last place. Uh, and what has happened up to this point, we have these kind of heroes of the faith, right? If you think about Old Testament heroes of the faith up till this now, up till now we have kind of Moses and we have King David, we have Solomon, we have Ruth, we have Deborah, we have these, these big massive figures. And, and that's been the narrative of the Old Testament. And then we get here and what happens that we see that the focus turns to the people of God. The focus turns into that that the people are one, that there's no uh, us and them, it's ours. That we see uh, different uh, socioeconomical backgrounds here. We have different ethnicities at times. That we have everybody here, and it's showing more of a picture, the fuller picture of the kingdom of God. We see the Holy Spirit at work, and it, it's in his people here and now. That, that Nehemiah, that he's gathered this group of leaders, and it's not just individual heroes up to this point. Now it's on the people of God. And this is the precursor to the New Testament. This is the bedrock. This is the foundation that Jesus will come in and speak the kingdom of God. This is the bedrock that Jesus will come in and say that the the Spirit of God, it doesn't reside in buildings and stones, but where? In the hearts of his followers. This is the setup to, to building what Jesus will come in and teach. There's a lot to be gleaned by the leadership of Nehemiah. He's a great networker. If we just look at this passage, uh, I would, I would, he's such a good networker that I would like to point out to you that he is nowhere to be found here. It, you, you might be tricked because you see the name Nehemiah further down the list, but Nehemiah, this is a different Nehemiah. So our Nehemiah, he is, no long, he is not on this list. I picture our Nehemiah, you know the, the boss that has the golf cart? And he's just driving around the perimeter of the wall, handing out bottles of water, just checking on people. That guy, yeah, I need to check on people. Uh, that, was my, that was actually my job in seminary. I'd drive around this golf cart, and I'd say, oh, I got to go check on those that are working, hand out Gatorade. Uh, and, and that's what Nehemiah is essentially doing. Nehemiah is not here on this list. And, and Nehemiah has gathered groups of people. But what is he doing? He's doing it for something greater. 
Nehemiah has remembered the past. What, what Isaiah, what Zechariah, what Jeremiah had prophesied about. That, that, the, that the people of God would be the temple. At this point, this is just prophecy. That the Holy Spirit, that the holy dwelling of, of God's presence wouldn't just be in a place. It wouldn't be in Bethel. It wouldn't be in the temple. But it would be in the hearts of God's people. That's you, that's me, and that's us. The, the, the greater story to, to the book of Nehemiah is it points us forward to the coming of Christ. It points us forward to us. And, and in, in Ephesians 2, you also are being built together into the dwelling place of God's Spirit. 1 Peter chapter 2, you yourselves are living stones being built as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, a chosen people. The, the building of the wall, the building of the wall, it was never just about a wall. It was never just about God's people building a stone wall out of brick and mortar. It was about building a people. God is building a people brick by brick. And God is building into the hearts of people and, and his Holy Spirit is dwelling within us. And I, I think, want you to think about this in closing today. As we look at this list, I was just reading through this morning uh, Genesis chapter 11. And, and if you're familiar with that chapter, that's the Tower of Babel. That's where uh, the where all of our languages came from, that's where uh, we see that God, that there's a group of people and they were speaking one language and they said, let us be great and we would make one great uh, ziggurat, a big, a big tower that would reach the heavens to show the world that we're great. These people wanted to build because to show their greatness. How many names are on that list in six verses? Zero. We have a group of people here that just individually respond to the call of God. And, and they're ordinary people doing extraordinary things. And the extraordinary thing is they just said yes. They were just obedient to what God had put on their heart. They were just obedient to being a part of what God was doing. And they showed up. But I think this does in us, for us today is that there's Two things that this points out in this chapter alone, friends. That we're all called to be ministers. If you are here and you are a believer, you are called to be a minister. That you are called, as the Old Testament put it, to be the prophets, the priests, and the kings to God's people. That that's one, that we're all called into ministry and to do the work of the Lord. And this the second point that chapter 3 makes is that we're all one. We are all one. Before our race, before our social divides, before our, our cultures, that we're first Christians, our, our foundation of who we are as Christians. That's why we so easily, we go into Africa, we go into Cambodia, we go into other countries of the world, and it's, it's easy to find that man or woman of peace because we have common good, that we are one. Before anything else, we're disciples, that we're Christians. And I, I hope that today that the text of, of, of Nehemiah 3 would minister to your hearts.
that the Holy Spirit that was prophesied, the spirit that was prophesied of the Old Testament dwells in us today. As believers, what the, the prophets only prophesied and dreamt about is what dwells in us today. Let me pray for us, church. Lord, I thank you for the book of Nehemiah. I thank you that we see a godly leader. We thank you that we see um, faithful saints. But God, we see more, a group of individuals who responded. Lord, that we see that uh, as Paul talks about a body of Christ, that, that we're all individuals, yet we're a part of one body, Jesus. That, that when Paul looks back to this event, that he sees this, this greater body of who we are as Christians. Lord, I pray that we would see that today, that we would have our place. Lord, that we would be responding to the things that you're putting on our hearts, Lord. That we would be uh, committed to one another, Lord, that we could put down our differences and, and that we would know that we are one in you, Christ. I thank you for this day. I thank you, Jesus, that you are good and we love you in your name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Uh, I would just like to invite up our prayer team. If any of you have any prayer needs or prayer requests or you just want to praise the Lord for something that's going on in your life, I would like you to come up and just meet with uh, somebody on our prayer team. If you'd like to get uh, more information about what's going on around here, uh, hang out in the foyer. And if you're hungry, you can head to the... Thank you for listening. Please let us know if you have questions or would like us to pray with you. You can contact the church office most weekdays at 503 266 4444 and anytime through canbyfoursquare.com.